Thank you. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Titus. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. He's trying to find it. It's first and second Timothy and then Titus, part of the pastoral epistles. Titus chapter 2. A message today entitled, Being Godly in an Ungodly Culture. Being godly in an ungodly culture. Here's my confession to you. When I began studying this, my, uh, my title originally was being, an ungod- being a Godly Mom in an Ungodly World. And as I dug into this, to the study, this is for everybody, that we should be ungodly in this culture. I'll also start right here to say, I really wish I had one more Mother's Day to wish my mom a happy Mother's Day. I'm not sure I ever did it just right, and uh, um, boy, mom was so good. I, I can't get, I can't wait till I get to heaven to see her. I know, regardless of what popular opinion is, I know that when I see her in heaven, that it will not be like the. Mom's son, like we think of it down here, it'll be more like the brother and sister in Christ because the birth in, of Jesus, the birth in the blood of Jesus trumps the birth into this world, and we'll have a great time together. When, when I see her, it's going to be great. But Mom always taught us, did her best to point us to Jesus. Now, she wasn't grandioso about it. She wasn't flashy about it, but she just did it in little things. It's kind of like I told the Wednesday night crowd. <clears throat> Four men were debating on what translation of the Bible that they liked. One guy said, I like the New American Standard. Another one said, uh, um, I like the English Standard. Another one said, I like the New King James. Another one said, I always like my mom's translation of the Bible. And they said, your mom? We didn't know she was a theologian. She didn't know, we didn't know she was a linguist. He said, where? Where can we get that and, and copy? Well, it's never written down. It's always in the way she lived. Think about that, the way that she lived. One of the things Mom taught me was to be honest. And on a day like Mother's Day, it's kind of difficult to be honest with what some of the things going on around us. But I'm going to make this going to be kind of Drudgery, the first part of this message, because if we're going to glean the lessons and the impact of what God's Word is going to teach us today, we have to come to understanding of where we are. And here it is. We live in an ungodly culture. Now, we're going to let that stay there just for a minute. We live in an ungodly culture. Teenagers, I am so sorry that we've handed to you such an ungodly culture. It's not really what was handed to us. And in this room, perhaps, many people do not believe that we live in an ungodly culture. I told the first hour, uh, I had never heard of the term woke until we sat with a, with a pastor search team that, that interviewed me to come here. And I was asked what I thought about it, so I had to bone up on it, fill out, figure out what I thought about it. Here's, here's, what my, here's my impression of the woke crowd. The woke crowd thinks that mankind is intrinsically good, and if we'll just get everybody out of the way, we can make us a great place on earth. Now, here's the problem with that. Mothers, you know this better than anybody else. I'd like to see the show of hands 
of any mother who had to teach their children to be selfish. Okay, how about self-centered? How many in this room had to teach your children how to sin? Nobody. You know why? Because we live in a broken, fallen, sinful world. Left to ourselves, we will destroy ourselves. You look around. If you don't believe this is a fallen world, just, just look at the news reports just the past two weeks for crying out loud. It'll awaken you to just how, how bad we, how bad this culture is, how ungodly this culture is. Not long ago, I was reading Jeremiah 2. And I, I want to put it up here so you can see it. Watch how it jumped out at me as I read. Hear the word of the Lord, house of Jacob and all families of the house of Israel. Now pause there. Just as sure as I'm standing here, this is what came to my mind. Hear the word of the Lord, house of America and all the families of the house of the United States. Because what he's about to tell is a parallel between Israel and us. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me that they went so far from me, followed worthless idols, and became worthless themselves. They stopped asking, where is the Lord? Now think about a culture like that. Think about a culture like that. Think about the gods that, that are in front of Jehovah, maybe in our lives. And you saw the next part because what... What comes on the screen next is found further down the chapter in verse 11. Has a nature changed or exchanged? It's God's. And I would suggest to you, I would submit to you that that's true today. If you are honest, if you are honest, if I am honest, in our assessment of our nature, we will find decay, we will find disintegration, and we will find devolvement of our culture into wild immorality. Read a story not too many years ago. Ten-year-old girl told her mother that the number one driving question in her life, ten years old, the number one driving question in her life was, when do I get to have sex? Ten years old. You know what the problem with that question is? We know that it's coming from our kids, but you know what the problem with that question is? Is that too often in our culture we get the answer all wrong. When you love somebody, honey, you'll know when it's right, baby. That's not God's answer. And as a result, our young people, and our not-so-young people, are imploding because they're giving themselves away sexually in this intimate act to the extent that when they finally get married, they have little to give to their lifelong partner. The results of immorality are devastating. Now, you know this because I've told you, if nobody else has told you before, I'm guessing most of you knew it when I told you probably a year ago. Every culture has three levels of morality. You can put every culture in one of three levels. Number one, they're a moral culture. They have morals, and they live by those morals. The second 
is an immoral culture. They have morals, but they don't live by them. The third is an amoral culture where they don't have any good morals. And so whatever they want to do, they do. It's kind of like the last verse of the book of Judges, which is written twice in the book of Judges. And in those days, when there was no king in all of Israel. Everybody did what was right in their own mind. It's kind of like a Katie bar the door, no restraint, nothing right, nothing wrong. Uh, live and let live. If you want to cohabitate with somebody, that's fine. If you want to have an abortion, that's fine. If you want to be a homosexual, it's nobody's business. And And today, in this culture in America today, God's people have been thrown under the bus along with his standards. This is our culture on Mother's Day 2022. And it is into this culture that God has called you and me to be people of light, to be children of light, to be people that are are different. From a pastor's perspective, I'll offer you this. If you've not been challenged on the front of morality... Consider yourself lucky and prepare yourself because the day is coming. So how can we be an ungodly person? An un, un, excuse me. How can we be a godly person, a godly mom, a godly dad, a godly brother, sister, child? How can we be godly in this culture? Please don't miss this. Being godly is not a live and let live passive attitude towards sin. Passivity was not and is not Jehovah God's plan for us. So now, if you will, you've got Titus chapter 2 found. If you can and will, would you stand as we, to honor the reading of God's Word? Paul writes and he says, But you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are, be, are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, and sound in faith, love, and endurance. In the same way... Older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slave to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands. Don't miss this last phrase. So that God's word will not be slandered. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and how it speaks to our heart. I pray that as you speak, that we'll hear. As you call, we'll respond. As you draw, we'll come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I'm going to draw your attention to that last phrase one more time. So that God's word will not be slandered. We need to put that on our forehead. We need to put that on our hand. We need to put it on our phone. Because when we receive Christ Jesus in a personal way, our job becomes to honor his name, to honor his blessing, to honor his teaching. 
Everything we do reflects on him at that point. So from Paul's words, how can we be un, how can we be godly in an ungodly culture? Let me offer you three ways. Three ways. First way, by our modeling. Modeling. Now I pulled that word out and I thought when I word I thought, man, they be, they gonna think they gotta be models. They gotta uh you know most of us, our minds go to those airbrushed, skinny ladies on the cover of magazines, a model, or the mega models. And here's what you, here's what you and I know, even as I speak that, those ladies on magazines and in the and on the on the internet, they have been airbrushed to perfection, to a level that nobody can stand up against. That's not the type model that that the scriptures talk about, nor am I. The Bible points us to another model. Consider this. When Dr. Schofield translated, actually he didn't translate, when he, when he put together his version of the Bible with his notes, he called the church at Thessalonica the model church. Why? Because they received the gospel, they lived the gospel, it changed their life, and they shared the gospel. They came, but they became a conduit for what God wanted to do in and through them. All they did is that they brought it in. And it says how you change from God, how you turn from God to idol to serve the true and living God and to wait for his glorious appearing. End of chapter 1. You see, the truth is, those guys were modeled, they were modeling how a church should be. And that model still is good today. But now we get to Titus. And Titus is calling us about modeling. These first five verses are packed with truths. It begins with, uh, in chapter, and in, in let me just give you the right verse. It gives, in verse 3 it says, in the same way older women, we're talking about Mother's Day today. Guys, you don't fret. All dogs have their day. Yours is coming in about five weeks, okay? It begins with older women's. Older women, excuse me. In the Greek, that word older is the same word. It's the feminine uh, rendition of the word presbyteros, which means elder. Speaks to someone with a little life experience and godly wisdom. This would be wives and mothers and men and women. This would be those who have been far far enough down life's road to have stepped in a few potholes on their own. And because they know, teenagers, here's the thing y'all, you need to take away from this. These older, older adults, they've been far enough down the road. They've stepped in potholes. They've gotten hurt. And they've had to get back up and clean themselves. And all they want to do is keep the younger people, younger women, younger men, from stepping in those same potholes. Could I get an amen? That's, and that's what he's saying. He's telling the older folks to, to train, to teach the people who've been there and done that. It also says they're to be reverent in behavior. Reverent in behavior. After I preached the morning service, one of the men in the men's class said to me, reverence is the big thing that we're missing today. And I said, how do you, how do you define reverence? Because I want to tell you this, most of us define reverence. We have falsely defined it as someone who folds up their hands in their lap, sit quietly, and they take a passive approach. That's not what it means at all. When I asked him what he meant, he said it means to have respect for Jehovah God, the awesome God, 
You see, one of the reasons that we feel so free to do whatever we want to do is because we have little respect for who Jehovah God really is. We have little reverence. King James translates that reverence in this way, as becometh holiness. Titus tells the people, particularly the older ladies, to demonstrate to demonstrate this thing of, of being holy, pure, and godly. And then he gives a couple of ways to make that happen. He says, don't be a slanderer. Everybody know what a slanderer is? Slander, crude, coarse, harsh talk, talking about someone. Don't be a slanderer. I love this. And don't drink. How did it say it? Not slaves to excessive drinking. Don't y'all feel better now? You're not supposed to be a slave to alcohol. All of you, all of you who are, you know, I say that flippantly. and Sometimes you'll be surprised at the person, people around you who are alcoholics and you don't even know it because they're, they're recovering alcoholics and they don't want everybody to know. But you see, the, the truth is, is that the reason it spoke to older moms like that, if you get into the culture, history and culture tells us that when the older ladies would get their kids grown and gone in those days, grown and gone, they got their own families, husbands out at work, and they would get their uh, place cleaned up, get their chores done, and then they'd just sit there and what drink, what the drunk means in the Bible is, is lingering long at the bottle. And that's what they were known for. And you see what he's telling us is you don't really want to develop that habit because it gives the wrong perception, it gives the wrong example, it gives the wrong outcome. Paul says you need to be modeling for the young people the godly life. Because you're godly yourself. And not the godlessness. Don't go that way. Mom, grandmom, dad, excuse me, granddad. You want to leave a godly legacy in this godly age. So if you want to do that, you're going to have to become a model for God and good. How does that happen? Didn't think you'd ever ask. How it happens is a life totally surrendered to Christ Jesus. Brother Jerry, you going to go back there? That's where life begins. That's where life is. We feel like we can go do our own thing. But, but here's the thing. It's not about just attending church, although that should be a part of it. It should be a, good, a big part of it. Your commitment to the church most of the time reveals your commitment to the Lord. But it comes, it's where you come to the place where you know for certain that you're a sinner. You know for certain that if you died today, you would go to hell. You know for certain that you, there is no good in you because the Bible tells you that and because the Holy Spirit of God convicts you of that. And because of that, you see what Jesus did when he gave his life on the cross. He was beaten. He was scourged. He took your place. He took my place. And you realize that and then you believe and you receive, and your life is changed. It's not just a behavioral change. It is a change from the inside out. Then, and only then, can you become a model with your life and teach the good things to your children. 
then teach the others who are around you. Model. Which brings us right into the, to the second thing that we can do if we want to be, be godly in an ungodly culture by your modeling and, number two, by your mentoring. It's interesting. This is considered a modern-day invention, modern-day concept, when really it's as old as the Bible. It says there they are to teach the younger women what is good. Teach them about a number of things. And it says they are just to teach what is good. So they encourage the younger women. So they encourage people. If, if we're going to have a healthy culture in the church and outside the church, if we're going to have a healthy culture, Paul is pointing us to teach what is good. And this didn't just start with Paul here. It started in, in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 11. God spoke to and through Moses about this, and he said, look, here's how you do it. This is a secret. Love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. You see, the truth is, it tells us to go on and imprint these commands, imprint these commands on our heart, imprint these commands in our mind. Imprint these commands even on our forehead so people can see it. He's saying, let everyone see and know not only who you are, but whose you are. That's what he's calling us to do. And here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. How you live, how I live, how we live, impacts what We can teach. You can't live like the devil and try to teach the principles of the Lord. You can't live your own life and try to tell your kids that somebody else is important. In Deuteronomy, God says, look, here's what I need you to do. I need you to teach it to your children. Teach it to your children. Teach it. When you walk along the roads, teach it when you sit down in your house. Teach it when you lie down at night. Teach it when you get up in the morning. <laughs> when I think about all those things, that just about covers life, doesn't it? Just about covers everything that we do. Because of your faith in Christ, you teach and you show them God's love, God's word, God's principles, God's life. Because you model it for them, and then you teach them. You model it, and then you teach them how. In case you've blown me off right now, let me make a point. Jesus said this. He said, what does it gain, or what does it profit? Somebody, if they gain the whole world, And they lose their own soul. So let me reframe the question. What does it profit a person? What good is it 
If you teach kids to sing or play musical instruments or play golf or play basketball or play football or drive a vehicle or how to treat their mate when they have one down the road, what does it do to teach them those things and not teach them how to love God, how to trust Jesus as their Savior? Talk about losing This world needs godly mentors, needs people with that love Jesus enough to have uncompromised morals and ethics. That have that has a pure heart for him. And being uncompromised is a hard thing today. I'll give you this illustration. Maybe a few people in this room remember the name Bing Crosby. Give me a nod. Bing Crosby, I'm dreaming of a... Yeah. But, but, you know, now the older folks might remember this. Younger folks may not know it, but Bing had one daughter. Has. She's still alive. And her name's Mary. She was a quite successful actress in the mid-70s. And... Uh, most of us from history know that the 60s and the 70s, early 70s, was what is referred to as the sexual revolution. It's when our morals really began to decay. Bing shocked the liberal correspondent Barbara Walters in an interview because in the midst of all that malaise of uh, uh, sexual immorality, they were doing an interview. Now, I want to tell you, nobody told me this. I didn't read about this. I saw it. Barbara said, um, well, tell me something, Bing. If Mary were to move in with somebody and not be married, what would you do? I'll never forget. He was sitting at, they were sitting at a table, and he had his, fist, his head in his fist, and he didn't even budge. He said, if Mary did that, she would not be welcomed at my house. And Barbara Walters just was aghast. She went to pieces. She said, oh, come on, Bing. This is Mary. <clears throat> and this is what he said. He did not get upset. He did not raise his voice. He said, yes, and Mary knows my standards. And whenever she would honor my standards again, she would be welcomed. Where has those kind of morals and convictions go gone? I'm not here to attest to you that Bing Crosby was a Christian, followed Christ, but I am telling you that he was right on his morals. He was mentoring his kids, and uh, and I don't think she ever did that because I think she understood the rules of the road. That's what mentoring is all about. To be a godly mom... <clears throat> to be a godly dad in this godlier world, it doesn't point to being mean or upset. It points to having convictions, uncompromising convictions, and modeling those for the younger people and mentoring younger people. One last thing. Being godly in an ungodly culture, by your modeling, by your mentoring, and by your ministry. Brother Jerry, I don't have a ministry. Well, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. 
Whoever you are, whatever you do, you have a ministry. It may be a bad ministry. A ministry is one of those things. Let me just give you a layman's definition of ministry. It's what you do for somebody else and you expect nothing in return. Something they need, you take care of and they expect nothing in return. Scriptures say, you know, we're to be reverent. That's holy. We're to be not slanderers, gospers. We're to be not controlled by wine. We're not to lose our witness. We're, and by the way, I told the first hour, moms, listen up. This is particularly for you, Danae. And don't let your kids drive you to drink, okay? That's, that's what I want to say. Sorry, girls. The truth is, is that he t- gives us all kind of things. We're to train young women to love their husbands and their children. We're trained to be self-controlled. We're training them to be pure. Train them, train them to work. Train them to be kind. Train them to be submissive when they need to. And we end with what I offered at the beginning. And that's the last phrase of our scripture. Is that so that God's word will not be slandered? Have you ever thought about, have you ever considered that people, you and me, who claim to have a relationship with Jesus, has it ever occurred to you that when we live by our standards instead of by His, that God's Word is maligned? God's Word is Minimized. We don't care for children. God's word is minimized. We don't care for the poor. God's word is minimized. We compromise standards that we know please God. God's word is minimized. It may be minimized, but it's the truth. If we're going to be godly people in this world, if we're going to be godly people in this ungodly culture, We must be first of all saved with Jesus in our heart and fully surrendered with our lives, our words, and our actions. And all of those point people to him. Just consider this today. Every person, every person, Every day models some kind of life. They offer some kind of mentoring. And they're known for some kind of ministry. Our friends and our family can look at us and tell us exactly what that is. So I end with this question. If... If those who look at you in your life become just like you, what will they ultimately be? Do they see Jesus in your life? Or do they see something else? My last question is this. What does Jesus see in you? Does he see someone who he has been invited into, who has changed from
from the inside out? Do they see someone who's submitting to him, surrendered to him? That's what he calls us to be. If we're going to be godly people in this ungodly culture, it's going to be because we're connected to our Lord God through Christ Jesus. Are you connected? Let's pray together.